Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier this week, I received a Grandfather's Day gift. It was uh, a little ceramic plaque about this big that uh, you can hang on the wall, and it had the imprint of my grandson's foot on it with the date and all of that, something that we can always remember. I'll never forget, uh, someone once told me that if, if I'd known grandkids were so much fun, I would have had them first. Well, we've been continuing in our series in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 and Last week, we, are, we were uh, seeing how that we need to, to walk in the liberty that Christ has given us and not be entangled again with the bondage that we were in. Now, I want you to keep your finger in Galatians chapter 5, but I want you to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because that is going to set the scene for what we want to say today. It's just back a few pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And here we read the words, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Now that's talking about you and me as we come to Jesus Christ, as he becomes the Lord and Savior of our lives. He just doesn't fix us. He makes us new. It's a brand new creation that we have. Now, as Paul approaches this section in Galatians 5, he is operating on the premise that a change has taken place in the hearts and lives of the hearers, and by extension, us as well. Now, he is speaking to them who have received Christ as their Lord, and and that they are allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them and help them in their daily lives. Now, he's just, as we said, finished explaining that there is a struggle between the old nature, that's our flesh, and the new nature, the one that is controlled by the Spirit. And we've all experienced it. We experience it every day, the struggle that's there. And we pointed out last week that as long as we are alive, we will face that struggle. And only when we cross that that veil of death will that struggle have ended. And to help us understand just how real this struggle is, he details some of the activity that is associated with the old sinful lifestyle. And then he gives another list that shows what the new life in the spirit should look like. It's like a a bad news, good news story. Now, having said that, We reiterate again that as long as we're living in this world, there will be a continuous struggle. And not until we die will we be free from the pull and the temptation of sin. And we see that clearly in in Romans chapter 6. And it's a very very much a parallel scripture to Galatians chapter 5. And we'll never be free from the struggle as long as we're alive. And there will be within each of us at least one area of weakness that we will need to constantly be on guard against. One where it would be so easy for us to fall in that area. How do we know? 
In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, I've looked at a number of different translations of Scripture. And every one of them places an emphasis on the definite article, the sin. The sin that so easily ensnares us or entangles us. In fact, our Pew Bible, the New Living Translation, says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, whether this is a hard and fast theological point, I cannot ascertain. But I do know that you could be strong in 95% of your life, but there's one area, one area in particular, or maybe more, that it would be so easy for us to lose the victory in. It takes no effort whatsoever. Why? Well, I believe... It's so that we will always need to depend on the presence and power of the Spirit of God. We will never reach the place where we say, I am sufficient in myself. In fact, the Bible says, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Paul so strongly encourages each one of us to walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. Why? For as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We saw that in in verse 16. Now, with that in mind, Paul takes some time to describe the two different lifestyles. It's a type of checklist, if you like, to help us discern. But I want to caution you. The fact that there's a list of the works of the flesh and that there's a a list of the, the fruit of the Spirit, please do not be tempted to think that it's merely a matter of building up more points in the one area than the other. We cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. We cannot merit our salvation. We are saved by grace alone. And Ephesians says, you're saved by grace through faith. And that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You can't earn your salvation. And yet many people still think, and we've mentioned this a number of times, that if we get to the end of our lives and our good works outweigh our bad works, that we'll be okay. That's not how it works. You could never do any good work that would have any merit with God. In fact, the good works that we do are prepared for him for us to do. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. We are prepared to do good works what he did for us. Now in verses 19 to 21 of Galatians 5, Paul is giving a typical list of the type of activities that are associated with the sinful, fleshly, pre-conversion lifestyle. These are things that operate contrary to the spirit-filled life, and they war against our attempts to live in freedom. And it's by no means an exhaustive list, I'm sure. But it does give us a very good overview of the types of things that are detrimental to freedom in Christ. And as we come to understand them, 
It will help us to recognize the fact that there is a war going on inside our lives and that we must ask the Spirit to help us to be victorious in these areas. And we are, again, because we are still earthly creatures in a fallen world, susceptible to any or all of these. But remember, and as we go through the list, there's going to be at least one of them that's going to jump out at you and it's going to grip you in your heart and say, yeah, I really struggle with that area. That's going to be the bad news part of it. But hold on, there's good news as well. And I do caution you. This may be uncomfortable. For none of us ever wish to face our weaknesses. But church, I believe we need to address it. I believe that when we expose darkness to light... When we bring it out into the open, that then enables us to see it as it is and bring victory. There is victory in Jesus Christ, and we cannot close our eyes and hope that the problems go away. We need to face them and deal with them. Now, in the New International, there's a list of 15 that we're going to look at briefly this morning. And it says... Now, uh, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And what does he, he plunges right into, number one, sexual immorality. The King James Version breaks this down into two areas. It breaks it down into adultery and fornication, which includes a wide range of impure or improper actions of a sexual nature. Now, this was extremely prevalent in Paul's day, as one of the major religions was the worship of the goddess Diana. And part of the, the temple worship practice was that they would have temple prostitutes. And they would be prostituting to bring people into this worship. And so Paul cautions them that this is very much a pulp. Now, we certainly don't need to go into very much detail to all of us agree that this is indeed a huge problem today. Everywhere you look, advertisements, writings, TV programs, we are inundated with it. Talks about sexual immorality, adultery being uh, sexual activity outside the bounds of your marriage, fornication being sexual activity uh, for those that are not in a marriage situation, and it encompasses a huge a number of things. We're not going to dwell on each one, but we want to mention them and bring them out. The second one he lists is impurity or uncleanness, and this deals then with our thought life. Now, I've discovered over the years that you will never cross the line of physical commitment unless you first cross that line in your mind. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think about is very important. And one of the works of the flesh is impurity. And, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went deeper than just the action to include the thought or the attitude of the heart. He said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, whoever looks at a woman to lust on her has committed adultery already in his heart. The thought life. So very important. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The third one is debauchery or lewdness. 
Now, this, again, would cover such areas as the way we would put our clothing on or not, uh, the language that we would use, the associations that we would have, anything that would contribute to an ungodly participation. Scripture is clear. It says, don't be deceived. You know, because our, 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 the people that we associate with have an influence on us. We should be influencing them for good. But be careful that they do not influence you for evil. You and I have noticed with some alarm how the morals of society tend to keep shifting away from the church. And in many cases, the church has tried to keep pace with it and shifted as well. But friends, this book does not shift. The word of God is true. And this becomes the standard of our belief and our action, not what is socially acceptable. Do you believe that? The fourth one that he lists is idolatry. And this conjures up in our minds people bowing down before an, an idol. And, but let me say, it's not just an image, but anything that would try to displace God as the object of our worship and our adoration. There are many things that have become an idol in people's lives. Again, not too much detail on this. The fifth one is interesting because it's called witchcraft or sorcery. And here particularly, our English language fails to properly articulate the depth of this sin. The root word for this in the Greek is the word pharmakia, which talks about medication or magic, and it's defined as an unnatural drive for control or for power. Now, the root that we're talking about comes from the Greek word pharmakon, which speaks of a drug or a spell-giving potion, or a poisoner, is what it means. So what is this? Like when we think of witchcraft, we think of those that are, uh, you know, the pointy hats and riding brooms. But no, it goes far deeper than that. Anything that would try to exert an unnatural sense of power. And here they do it through spells or drugs. And here we have today prevalent practice of witchcraft in illegal drug abuse. Where someone is exerting power over other people so that they control them. When it comes to reading the newspaper, I'm not going to touch that area that says horoscope. You know why? Because if I look at it, I'll think about it. I don't want to think about it. Because it has no place. It's, it's like the key that opens the door. And once you open the door, you might not want to see what's on the inside of that door. How many have ever seen things you, you wish you'd never seen? All of us have. And we can't erase those from our minds. So the best way is to not even take the first look. Now let me extend this one thing further. Something that's extremely prevalent today is what's called bullying. 
trying to exert power over another person. That, in its sense, in its essence, is the very spirit of witchcraft or sorcery, which is trying to exert power, and they do it by bullying other people. There's ads out on TV says that by the end of this ad, six people, six young people will be cyber-bullied. And by the end of this year, so many million will be cyber-bullied. Folks, we need to pray. We need to speak positively. We have a wonderful opportunity this summer to engage with our children. Hey, older folks like me, do you know the names of our kids? Do you know their names? Well, some of them are your grandkids. You better know their names. We have an opportunity to worship together as a family on a number of Sundays. And that means our sermons are going to be such as our children can understand as well as us folk. Our songs, we're just going to try and do this. Why? Because it matters. It really does. It goes on, number six, to talk about hatred. Hatred is an ongoing and unwillingness to find any common ground where the emotions have taken over and become an ingrained attitude where you just let that control you rather than you be in control of your emotions. Now, the seventh is interesting as well. It's called discord. Now, when we read these through real quick, we just skip over them and say, well, yeah, I don't really know what that means, so it's okay. Well, it's not okay. Discord or contentions, King James, in the, it says variance, the Greek word eris, which means a quarrel or wrangling. When we read in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19, there's a list that has come to be called the seven deadly sins. How many have ever heard of them before? It says... These are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. That means there's six things he doesn't, really doesn't like, the, but the seventh really ticks him off. All right? Here they are. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and here's the seventh, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Whoa. Stirs up conflict. You mean that's actually listed that God doesn't like it much if I you know, keep my little two cents going in there to get people angry with other people and I gossip behind their back and I, I tell tales on them. That's really bad? Yeah, it is. Why? Because the Spirit of God moves when there is unity, not division. When there is one accord. Someone who gossips or tells tales is not trying to build the community, but only stir up division and strife. Like I said, some of this is going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But how many know, to this point, we're speaking truth? And we need to look at it. We need to be serious about it. There's a scripture that says, 
that judgment must begin in the house of God. We need to take responsibility for our actions. If the church does the same thing as the world, what's the purpose of the church? What difference is there between being saved and not saved if we do the same things? The list continues. Jealousy. It's one of the Ten Commandments because it talks about coveting. Fits of rage or outbursts of wrath. How about selfish ambition? That's where someone has their own agenda and uses people to try to gain their way. The 11th is another one we don't always understand. It's called dissensions. King James calls it sedition. And what is that? That is actually tearing down those who are in authority. Little murmurings, undertones, stirring things up behind the scenes. We can see this in so many areas. We can see it in the political arena. I have seen it in church leadership where people of the church are tearing down the leaders behind their backs instead of praying for them and supporting them. You know what that's like? It's like shooting your own foot and wondering why it hurts. We are to pray for those who are in authority. We are to give them our support. Does that mean we agree with everything? No. But we've agreed to support each other and know that the leaders before God and under God are doing their best to to rightly discern God's pathway for the church. Let us not be guilty of murmuring and tearing down. Let us not be guilty of causing division. The twelfth is factions or or heresy where we adhere to, to teachings or doctrines that are contrary to Scripture. Thirteenth is envy where you're not content with what you have and Always looking for what someone else has been given or earned, whether it's position or recognition. Fourteenth is drunkenness. And this includes much more than just alcohol. This is any appetite that can never be satisfied regardless of the object. Whether it's power or position or fame or ego or food, or alcohol, or sex, or anything. We're going to see a counterpart of this in the fruit of the Spirit, being self-control. Then the 15th is a word we don't use in the church. It's called orgies. Again, it's not only a sexual thing, but any appetite that is not controlled where there is no self-restraint or temperance. You say, Brother Paul, we shouldn't even be talking about these in the church. I'll look you right in the face and say, we should be talking exactly about these in the church. 
The word of God teaches us that they are there and we need to open our eyes and open our hearts and open our understanding to what they are and the dangers that are represented. And can you see how each of these can be detrimental to the cause of Christ? And as such are associated with the former sinful life and not with the new creation life that Christ came to give us. Yet we need to be aware and on guard lest these try to creep back into our Christian life and take us captive again. And so often, they are so subtle that we might not even notice. In the end, the result is plain. Scripture says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Paul did, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And if you say, well, I don't think that's right, well, you take it up with God. You take that one up with God. You see, Scripture is talking about those who live like this, and talking about their habitual lifestyle, and not necessarily those who are endeavoring to walk in the Spirit, but take a wrong step. So please, understand that that we will always have opportunity to take a wrong step. And I believe there is forgiveness and healing for that. As we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The danger is when it becomes a, a habitual lifestyle or a pattern of life. And that's why the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, but he doesn't leave us defenseless defenseless because there's another list that follows right after that's available to the child of God and that is the fruit of the spirit now there are nine of these and each one is empowered by the Holy Spirit to help us live this new creation freedom life okay all right everybody take a deep breath and let it out yeah just all right that was the bad news all right and I said it might be a little bit uncomfortable and if you think it's uncomfortable for you to hear it, understand it was uncomfortable for me to give it. But the truth is the truth. And I make no apology for that. But now we come to the good news. The things that God has given to each one of us who have received Jesus and been filled with the Spirit of God. Now, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, and some notes about fruit. It always begins in seed form. And then it grows. It matures. And then it bears more seed, which causes the process to repeat itself. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. Let these things grow and mature and develop in our lives. Said so the first of these is love. Love is not just a feeling but it's an action. What it is, is choosing the greater good for the other person. It's the agape love that God has given to us. The giving love. We've been talking about uh, the two great commandments, love God and love people, and that's what this is all about. Herein is, not, is love, not that we love God, but he first loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then there's joy. 
Joy is an attitude regardless of the circumstance around us because the joy of the Lord, we read in Jeremiah, is our strength. Joy is being able to have an attitude regardless of the circumstance. It's an inner sense of joy that wells up within us, that comes from the Spirit. The third is peace. And peace is not the absence of trouble, but a heart that is content in the midst of trouble. You have both peace with God and you have peace of God. Jesus himself is called the Prince of Peace. The fourth is forbearance or patience. Someone once said, if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. It's also known as endurance. And the way that patience grows in our lives is as trials come our way, we go through them. And it builds an endurance, it builds a patience, it builds a forbearance in our lives. My, one of my sons years ago said to me, Dad, I'll never be as patient as you are. And I just simply said to him, I hope you don't have to go through the things that I've had to go through to get to this place. And it's still growing. Still growing. God's not finished with me yet. Then there's kindness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. Be ye kind one to another. One of the first verses we learned as children in Sunday school. We all know how to be nice. So why do some choose not to be nice? Well, they're letting that old list creep in again. They get a little bit selfish. You are never happier as when you are serving other people. You are never more fulfilled as when you seek to meet the needs of other people. The sixth is goodness. Goodness reflecting the character of God or the golden rule, always choosing the higher road. When we were looking at that scripture in Exodus where Moses says, God, show me your glory. He says, I will make my goodness pass by you. So goodness, one of the attributes of God and we, we, we're able to be good and show that because of what God is doing in our lives. It's a reflection of his work in us. The seventh is faithfulness. And the word itself means being full of faith, trusting and believing. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a definition. His faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. It's having faith that God is here always and that he wants to bless Verse 6 of chapter 11 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How much faith do you need? Just a little bit to start. That's why it's a fruit. It grows. How many have a garden? 17 of you. Okay. We are, we are looking every day at how our plants are growing and getting taller and fuller and greener. And we're amazed how overnight they seem to change. Well, folks, that's exactly how the fruit of the Spirit works in our lives. As we allow the Spirit of God to work in us and through us, 
It begins to grow and develop and mature and become not just something we're conscious of, but becomes an unconscious act of our character. The eighth is gentleness in word, in action, in, in, in attitude. Philippians 4 or 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then the last one is self-control. That's the ability to control your appetites, your words, your thoughts, your deeds. Not allowing them to master you, but you master them. Well, Paul then adds that there is no limit to how much of the fruit can be in your life. The more, the better. There is no law governing how much or how often you use or grow them. In fact, there's no law needed. Because if you're walking in the Spirit, there's no law that you need to be governed by. Well, then, let me conclude with these three notes that Paul brings up. He says that our attitude, our attitude is that we need to crucify the flesh. Jeff and, and Alexander read these for us today. We need to crucify the flesh. We need to bring it to a violent death, that old lifestyle. It's a deliberate action that we're to take, not just a passive thing. See, I've noticed that the, with, with the weeds in our lawn and our garden, a passive approach is to allow them to take it over. The weeds, they, they, they thrive. Even if there's no rain, they thrive. And by doing nothing, you lose. But if we, by the Spirit of God, put the deeds of the flesh to death and allow the fruit to grow, then we will experience the freedom that Christ intends for us. The second thing he says, keep in step with the Spirit. Don't run ahead. Don't lag behind. It indicates that we are walking together. We are not running ahead of the other person. When my wife and I go someplace, we like to hold each other's hand. We're in step with each other. I tease her that you know, if I didn't do that, I'd be out of the car in the store and at the checkout by the time she gets out of the car even with my short legs. But we like to do things together, whether it's going to the store, whether it's doing life, we like to do it together. And you'll see us, we always hold hands. And that's how we are to walk with the Spirit of God. Where are you going today? I'm going with you. Where are you going? I'm going with you. Then let's do it. And then the third thing is don't get proud of your spirituality. True spiritual maturity will be evidenced by a growing humility. This then comes into practice with the first verse of chapter 6, where Paul shows how all of this comes together, and he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Bad news, good news, and the good news just keeps getting better. Fruit of the Spirit. That's how Paul instructs us. That's how God enables us to live this Christian life together. Please receive it this morning. In Jesus' name, Matt.
listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.